Audio Jungle. What's going on? I'm Dr. Italo Brown, emergency physician. And we're going to talk a little about COVID and vaccines. And I'm going to ask Dr. Brown here some questions about our collective. Should I refer to you as Dr. Brown? Italo is fine. Italo is fine. Not even Dr. Italo? (laughs) If you like to, that's cool. (laughs) I usually tell, uh, tell patients the doctor is really... Uh, just to make people a little bit uncomfortable. I uh, respect uh, anyone who who's comfortable sitting in front of me, so I'm with it. Well, uh, I honestly, I meet someone with a doctor before their name, and I feel more comfortable with them. Well, hey, <laughs> you can call me Dr. Italo. I'm with that. Cool. Well, thanks for doing this. I'm glad we got linked up to to have this conversation. Yeah, no, I, it's uh, it's something that I'm excited about, and uh, I did my research and homework, man. You got some talent. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, we were just, my manager and I were just talking about you, some of your house breakdowns, because <laughs> that's one of my favorite shows. <laughs> man, I am uh, a big fan of cinema, so anytime I get a chance to talk movies and medicine, it, it all works together. Cool. Well, so I've been, uh, I have been kind of by choice and kind of not by choice. Um, in a lot of, in a lot of DM conversations recently about vaccines, ever since, uh, we announced that my tour was going to be a vaccine required tour. In order to come into the show, you had to show proof of vaccination. We didn't, we haven't been accepting negative tests. It's been vaccine only. And not everyone has loved that. (laughs) I imagine. (laughs) (laughs) So navigating those conversations, I felt entirely underqualified for. So I would love to just for my own for my own purposes, be able to ask you about how how to best go about those conversations, how you go about those conversations. And I think, you know, for for a lot of my fans, a lot of yours, a lot of people watching this, how to how to just have those conversations in general with people who are vaccine hesitant um, or angry about being mandated. I don't think I'm forcing anyone to do anything. I'm not. I'm not trying to take away anyone's freedoms of any kind. I'm just saying, if you're going to come to my show, I would like everyone at my show to be as safe as possible. That's not forcing you into it. To me, it's not forcing anybody into shit. That's like, (laughs) this is a concert that I'm putting on. I would like, you know, we're trying to be a safe emotional space and we're trying to be a safe physical space too. So what do you usually tell people when they're like, I'm hesitant about this. I don't. I don't know if it's. It, I don't know if I'm ready yet. I don't. What's your go-to answer? 
man, if I had a dollar for every one of the conversations <laughs> like this that I'm having, I'd probably be able to get myself out of student debt. Right. No, but this is a very real concern that you bring up. And I think that the cool thing is you're conscious that, you know, personal choice plays a huge factor to this. Uh, I usually tell people to, I, to start off by trying to understand what that hesitation is. Like, what's the background behind that? Is it because you don't understand the science? Is it because you've had bad experiences with hospitals or bad experiences with immunizations? Is it because you've been listening to somebody and their perspective is more compelling? Like, I want to get what the bank, the background, that context is behind why they have hesitation. And then I meet them with facts. And when I say facts, I'm not talking about, you know, spitting numbers that came out of some room with a bunch of scientists. I'm talking about things that you've interpreted, things that you've done the research on and can speak to confidently. And finally, like giving them some sort of, you know, something to anchor on. So linking them to another person who can speak the language, who's had yeah. more practice doing this. Because it's very difficult to come off as an expert if you've got a little bit of information and can't really navigate those tougher questions that people develop. So uh, I think that that's usually my strategy. Uh, and then personally, I always think that it's important to bring it to you know something that's more personal, like a family member or an experience. Because right now, everybody can speak to having lost someone or knowing someone who's been who suffered from or been affected by COVID nineteen, and, yeah. and I think that that helps make it a little bit more real and tangible. Yeah, I find in a lot of my conversations, it's like I'm trying my best to articulate information from people smarter than me and they're trying their best to articulate information from people smarter than them and it's like just two misrepresentations of other people's ideas where i'm like no but my cousin's a scientist and she says <laughs> and they're like but joe rogan says and then right and then yeah man they're back and forth there that that is a, a it's a funny interplay. And I do recognize I come from a place of privilege being a doctor. Like I can yeah. say that I interpret the statistics. I know, uh, I see patients every day that have COVID and that gives me a little bit of an upper hand. Uh, but, but what I do think is extremely useful is if you can cite verify sources. So you don't have to be an expert to know like there are certain entities that have like the rolling numbers of, of people who were affected by COVID-19. There are certain entities that compare head to head what the immunizations are. And you can reference those places. And it's really in plain English at that point. Yeah. Uh, and then I think that the, the last thing I'll say is, you know, it's no one is 100% right. Even the, the experts don't have 100% of this correct. Uh, acknowledging that there's some room for potential error or potential bias levels the playing field so no one feels like the wolves being pulled over their eyes. That's super real. I got to say, I appreciate the grace in which you can speak to those with a different perspective because you know, we're all just trying to do what's best for us and our families. And I think recognizing like 
the intention of anybody's like no one's intention is to perpetuate a health crisis <laughs> facts I think sometimes I have the tendency to react to people as if they have the intention of perpetuating a health crisis. And so I really do. I appreciate the grace in which you can say, you know, information comes from different places. People trust different people. We're all trying to have the same conversations. We all have the same end goal, which is to keep ourselves and our family healthy. And I... Yeah, I know. You, you think about it like that. And and, the, and I say this because I've got family members who were hesitant yeah. for, you know, variety of purposes. And I love them the same, yeah. you know, regardless of how they view the medicine or the science or they view the politics surrounding the yeah. vaccination. Yeah. It's sad that it became something other than just a conversation between people and their doctors. Like, right it became such a, you know, you had to pick a side almost when it doesn't seem yeah. like it should be something that requires a side. It's just we're trying to keep ourselves and each other safe. Yeah, uh, I'm from California and, and it, it reminds me, it's like you had to be a blood or a crip growing up. It was like, there's no huh. in between. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, for me, I was like, man, how did this turn into something as volatile as that? And, and simply what it is, is, you know, I, I think that there are other agendas at play, but I think yeah. the main part is when you're losing people at a, a extremely rapid rate, and it seems like there is a a decision to do something and it comes so rapidly, so quickly, uh, there's confusion and people are always going to be rebellious or hesitant around things they don't understand. Oh. And so we just have to do a better job of explaining at a granular level what each step means and what every single thing that we're attempting to do from a public health sense uh, involves. Totally. And you're right. I mean, I, I'm coming from a position where I've gotten vaccines my entire life. Like I get my flu shot every year. You know, like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like a new thing, but if, you know, if you don't get your flu shots, if you're not used to these sorts of things, like I get that it can seem frightening to me. It isn't, I don't think there's anything real scary about it at all. I think we put far more dangerous things on our, in our bodies on a regular basis. Uh, right. <laughs> so what. Can you give me an example of a conversation that you've had with someone who disagrees with you that you felt went best case scenario? Yeah, uh, so I, I loved, I work in barbershops every now and then and, and do health interventions through barbershops. I had a conversation with a barber in Atlanta and very educated man, you know, he, he had a clean lineup you know, he, he, he did my hair right, some some justice. And in the conversation, I'm just telling him like, at the, I, I ran my entire playlist of things that I would do normally. I talk about the vaccine, give him the whole breakdown of what a spike protein is, what it's supposed to attack. Uh, I talked to them about other immunizations, other viruses. I mean, I hit all that. And he said, at the end of the day, he was like, yeah, but it still doesn't change the fact that 
I don't trust the person who's giving it to me. I don't trust the people who uh, developed it. And it still doesn't change the fact that we still don't know the long-term effects of this uh, particular vaccination while we're still learning the long-term effects of the illness. And so no, I, I, I really tried to combat it from a level of uh, humanism saying like, think about greater good, think about, you know, trying to not necessarily, you're not doing it for yourself, you're doing it for someone else. You're doing it to make sure that those who are, uh, who you can't perceive their risk level to be as high, you're saving them. Uh, and he was like, yeah, but I could do the same thing from just wearing my mask or practicing other precautions. I don't have to get vaccinated. So every point that I came up with, his counterpoint was more of a conservative stance. Um, and I had to just, best case scenario was he agreed to do more research. He agreed to listen to a couple of, you know, podcasts uh, about it from people who were far more intelligent than I and who are able to explain it at a granular level. So I took that as a victory. I mean, he listened, he listened, and he made a conscious decision. Yeah. It's beautiful. And it's beautiful that yeah, man. you can come out of that conversation not with necessarily someone saying, like, you know, you know, hey, you're right, I'm going to get vaccinated. You can, come out, you can come out of that with even a, a, a little bit of a baby step and that still feel right. like progress. Are you basing it? I mean, I'm I'm not a used car salesman. Like I'm not coming to the table trying to, you know, get you to buy this Plymouth, you know, like I just want you to see like, these are things that we're doing at a, a very uh, quick rate because we trust the science. And we've gotten here from years and years of other people's uh, hard work before the pandemic even came about. Yeah, I try. I try and meet aggressive DMs with disarming amounts of love. Um, one, because it's just a silly thing to me to yell at a singer <laughs> on Instagram about vaccine. Like, I, so it when, sounds funny. It, it sounds funny as hell. <laughs> it's funny. It's just a strange choice. But I try and remember that if someone cares enough to yell at me about this, then they, they must care about the music. They must have really wanted to come to the show. So I try and focus on that. It's like, you must be a real fan. Because <laughs> this Right, yeah. And, you know, one of the best, they haven't all gone this well, but one of the best conversations I had was with somebody who said, you know, kind of came on aggressively, like, I can't believe you did this. Like, this is so messed up. Like, you know, I, I was, I, I used to be a fan, you know, you've lost my support. And I, and I just said, I was like, Hey, I, I appreciate that you used to be a fan. I appreciate that, you know, you found the music and it's meant something to you. Let me explain where I'm coming from. We're two things. One, we're traveling the country in rooms full of people and I care about y'all. And if I can make you 1% safer in that room, I'm going to do it. And two, if anyone on our team, if any of the nine of us on that bus get COVID, it's over. We're shut down. Big facts. Big facts. 
why would I not, like, this is what I love. This is what I love to do. And right. to, to me, like, it's a no-brainer. Like, any of the any of the questions around, you know, side effects of a vaccine to me are, are very, very minuscule compared to getting my life back. You yeah. know, I need, yeah. I need to make to get my life back and keep all of us safe in a very confined space. And living on a tour bus is like being on a tiny home with nine people. <laughs> it's like put one of those on wheels and then put nine people in it. That's right. right. So yeah. why? So we got to be as safe as we possibly can. And, and he was very understanding of that. He was like, you know what? I, I get that. You know, you don't want your tour to get shut down. I get that. Man, um, that's huge. That's huge. It, it speaks to the connection that you have with your, your fan base. Like, that's live. I mean, it's it's a funny thing. I think musicians often find themselves in more intimate conversations than they are than they are uh, really qualified to have because right. you know, we get to have a conversation with people and often they're, you know, the we speak to the parts of people that scare them. I think that's what music has always found, has always found parts of me and allowed me to access parts of me that mm -hmm. might be frightening, that feel vulnerable, that feel exposed. But yeah. when you build that relationship with someone, you know, you, it, it puts you in a position to have those kinds of conversations. And I mean, we're just. That's a very significant point you just made, yo. Like one, you get access to people in a way that I might not ever get access to people. And and I'm a doctor, you know what I mean? Like I, I get a backstage pass to the human body, but you get a backstage pass to their deepest fears and emotions and you can do so in, you know, a, a lyric. And so leveraging that to do something that we're trying to do desperately, I take my hat off to you. If, I, if it was a hat, I would take my hat off. Well, man, I, I all I had to do was uh, talk about my feelings until I knew how to do it. You had to go through a fucking decade of schooling. Oh, that part. <laughs> I, I, I'm hesitant to over-glorify my profession because I sat in my living room and made songs on the internet where y'all were, you know, risking your lives the last 18 months. So hey, it, it, it all had to happen. And, and in a certain divine uh cinema for us to be able to to meet today but also for us to have the impact that we're having respectively you know i'm i'm thankful i'm saying that because there's somebody who you've encouraged to get vaccinated who's not going to show up in my emergency department or not going to have their grandparents show up in my emergency department because you took a stance uh and, and one that's not going to make you popular you know, it doesn't, it, it's hard to make the decision of, you know, looking out for somebody else over yourself. That's difficult. I, I, I appreciate you saying that. And you know what? A lot of it came out of a sense of duty to people who do the job that you do. Because, you know, I get to do what I love for a living. I get to make songs for a living. That is still bananas to me. So 
And it's not very often we get we get to make that choice. So I encourage other musicians too, like even if you're gonna lose twenty percent of your ticket sales, like consider that there are people in hospitals just like what you said. It's such a good point. Like if if you know we lose twenty percent of our ticket sales, but that means you know there's a few there's a few people who don't end up in the hospital, there's a few family members of people who don't end up up in the hospital, then if that's one person it's worth it. Because right. health is more important than a ticket sold, right? And it's—I right. mean, I think it's—it's it's been an easy time to put some of that in perspective. And I would have felt like a whole hypocrite after you know singing a song of "If the World Was Ending," connected <laughs> itself to this whole thing ways it never could have intended, and trying to talk. You know, I- I didn't want to make that connection, but that was the first thing that I thought about. <laughs> would have felt like a hypocrite. Yeah. So what what would what would you say to someone who, at this point, is still on the fence about all this? So I, I think that is reasonable to still be on the fence, because at the end of the day, this is a very difficult thing to digest. You know, we're not on the tail end of a pandemic, we're still in the midst of one. And so I would offer grace to anybody who is trying to you know, find their way through. But what I would say off the rip is you have to take a second, remove the, the politics around the decision, remove the misinformation around the decision, and really look at the difference between those who are vaccinated and how they're doing and those who are unvaccinated and how they're doing. If we're looking at numbers and outcomes and seeing who's being hospitalized and who's not being hospitalized, who's dying and who's not dying, it makes the decision a little bit uh, more transparent for you. I mean, chills, man. That's a phenomenal answer. I'm just telling you what I t- <laughs> I mean, I look at these numbers every day, man. I swear, I feel like... Uh, I feel like I am a savant in that sense where the story that's being told by by these numbers, by the data, is two different realities, you know, and those who are unvaccinated are 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 fighting in a different way uh, with with resources that are more limited than, than those who uh, happen to be vaccinated. You know? So I just I want people to be aware of that. I the <laughs> Uh, about a week, three weeks ago, uh, I drunkenly told a friend of mine who was a nurse that I wanted to let all nurses and doctors into the shows for free. <laughs> My manager, Aubrey, was next to me, and she goes, TP, you can't do that. <laughs> There's you can't do it at all. Nurses and doctors, you can't do that. I tried, though. My heart was going to place. <laughs> It, the sentiment makes me feel warm inside because in the beginning of the pandemic, everybody was rocking with us. Now at this point, it's kind of just like Wayne. I can't get a free drink from Starbucks anymore. Well, man, it's like I want some coffee, yo. Are you in Atlanta? Oh no, 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 no. I, I'm in California. Atlanta's where I went to school at, but um, yeah, I, I'm out in Palo Alto. Well. Palo Alto is close to San Francisco, right? Absolutely. If you want to come to the San Francisco show, I will give you a free ticket and a free Starbucks. Oh, dog, I'm there. Oh, nice. 
<laughs> Say less. I'm there. I'd be dope. I would love to meet you in person. Oh, man. In this song. Well, I appreciate you with everything you do. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Yeah, no, this is... I'm humbled. I'm humbled by not just the opportunity, but by, you know, your realism. And it, it comes through in your music, comes through in your personality. And, and for us who are kind of like actively living this right now, where we're trying to uh, do a, a whole lot um, on a bandwidth that fluctuates, uh, a little dose of what you brought me today uh, adds joy to my life. So I appreciate it. Dude, Sammy, you just gave me chills because I, I, I can't imagine how exhausted you are just from doing your job. So the fact that you have found the strength to take it upon yourself to speak to your patients, do your job, and then also be an advocate, a public health advocate, have these conversations, like that is above and beyond. And I appreciate you for it because you, you know, you allow those conversations to exist in a really, a really beautiful, helpful way. Oh man. We're going to chop it up in person. I can't San Francisco. Wait. It's so good to meet you. Man, the pleasure is all mine. Enjoy your evening. All right, y'all. Be good. Peace. Right, let's get to the future of Philip Coutinho now. Could we see him return to the Premier League this month? Well, Rob Dorsett joins us live for more on this. Morning to you, Rob. Uh, looking very likely that Coutinho will be leaving Barcelona this month. No doubt plenty of interest here in the Premier League. But where could he end up? Well, yeah, we, we, we told you, didn't we, yesterday on Sky Sports News that we think there are six separate Premier League clubs that are all interested in potentially taking uh, Philip Coutinho this month. And, I, and we told you as well that Aston Villa are definitely uh, one of those six. Now, a bit of breaking news for you, if you like, but we're still checking this one out, so let's not go too strong on it. But... Arsenal, Spurs and Newcastle, I've been told this morning, are three clubs amongst those six that are also interested in Philip Coutinho. But as I say, we've got to speak to the clubs about those, so we shouldn't go too big on that now. But in terms of Villa's interest in him, I think it underlines their ambition, doesn't it? Both of Steven Gerrard and the owners, Nassif Suarez and Wes Edens, that they'd even be in the market. Uh, for somebody like Philip Coutinho, somebody of his standing. It would be a real coup if Villa managed to, to get this one over the line ahead of uh, some of the other clubs that are interested in him. I think Steven Gerrard will be trying to use the fact that he knows him. They're quite close. They played together for two and a half years at Anfield uh, in that Liverpool midfield up until 2018 when Steven Gerrard left. Um, and so he'll hope that that friendship, that closeness, gives him certainly a line of communication with Philip Coutinho, um, but also possibly an edge in terms of trying to persuade him to, to come to Villa Park. Um, uh, look, remember, Stephen Gerrard said before this transfer window opened that there were one or two targets that he was after, and if they came off, he said the Villa fans would be very, very excited about it. Well... Philip Coutinho certainly fits that bracket, doesn't he?
Tension continues standing. He joined Barcelona from Liverpool for £146 million back in January 2018. He's also on big wages. I just wonder, Rob, how much of an issue could that be for anyone who wants to sign him? Well, it could be an issue. Uh, I mean, look, we, I'm, I'm aware that Barcelona have got huge financial issues of their own and Philip Coutinho isn't part of their plans. So if they can uh, lose his big chunk of the wage bill, I think they would happily do so. He's, he's not part of the, the first team plans on a regular basis over at the new Camp. So uh, they are open to offers and I think they're preparing to take a big hit financially. But in terms of Villa, look, we have to be realistic, that could be an issue for them. Um, I mean, Coutinho is reportedly on £250,000 a week. That would blow Aston Villa's wage structure right out of the water. Just to put it into context for you, when Jack Grealish uh, left for Manchester City and Villa were trying to persuade him to stay with a new contract, I was told that Villa's offer was about £150,000 a week to Jack Grealish. So potentially £100,000 less per week uh, than Philip Coutinho is on at Barcelona right now. But look, Villa's bosses aren't naive here. If they didn't think that they could afford it, if they didn't think there was a deal to be done, they wouldn't have approached Barcelona about him in the first place. But I think we have to be realistic. There are other clubs out there who might be able to satisfy Philip Coutinho's wage demands more uh, than Aston Villa. And my understanding is it's only been a rather tentative approach from Villa at this stage. Uh, as much as they're concerned about the wages, they have a real concern about being drawn into a bidding war because of all of the other clubs that are interested in Coutinho, as I understand it. And so uh, I think theirs is a bit of a watching brief, made it clear that they're interested and they'll see what moves other clubs make before, before they perhaps go in for the kill themselves. Yeah, certainly going to be interesting to see how that one develops. Um, away from Coutinho, but sticking with Villa, though, uh, just quickly, it looks like Gerard is keen on adding to his squad by bringing in a defender. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, we told you yesterday that uh, Villa want a left-back and they're looking at a number of options. Well, one of those options, I can tell you, is Aaron Hickey, uh, the former Hearts defender, of course, um, a really highly rated 19-year-old Scottish defender. Um, and he, he, he um, went to Italy uh, in the summer of, uh, of 2020 after breaking through at Hearts. Um, he's only played 19 games in Serie A this season, but from left-back, uh, he's already scored four goals. So he's a really talented player. But as I say, he's one of a number of left-backs that Aston Villa are looking at. Um, Gerard knows him well. He impressed him playing for Hearts against Rangers when Gerard was, was the Rangers manager. So he knows an awful lot about him but there may be one or two other targets that Villa have in mind at left-back as well. So that's, again, a bit of a watching brief for them. I don't think Villa are going to do any business very quickly in the next couple of days, but just a reminder about Coutinho, Carve Solicol, our colleague, uh, said yesterday that he expects that to be done pretty quickly. Coutinho could be back as a Premier League player before the weekend, Carve says. So, uh, so watch this space on that one.
Yeah, we will indeed. Rob, good to talk to you. Thank you for now. So yeah, watch this space. It really does look like Coutinho could be on his way back to the Premier League. Um, Rob Dorsett said there, Aston Villa, Arsenal, Spurs, Newcastle, the clubs that he's hearing, although definitely worth reiterating, there is no word from the clubs themselves on this matter. But you guys are in charge. You get to pick what club Coutinho goes to. Mark, which club would make the most sense in terms of a fit for the player? I think you could make an argument for, like Rob says, five or six Premier League clubs that would be interested in a player like Philip Coutinho. He's still only 29 years old, so he's still at a good age. And clearly coming from Barcelona, having played at Bayern Munich and Liverpool, he comes... Uh, with a good ped pedigree of playing for big European clubs. He knows what the pressure is like for being uh, the, right at the top of the game. So it's going to be fascinating to see how this one plays out. This is one of those names that hits the transfer desk and you go, right, let's see what happens here. This is what we want. We want the big names coming to the Premier League and Coutinho is most certainly one of them. Let's take a look at some of the statistics uh, linked with him both, first of all, when he was at Liverpool, uh, as you can see there, he's played 152 games, 41 goals at Liverpool in the Premier League and 35 assists. We know he got that huge money move to Barcelona since playing for Liverpool, 144 games, 36 goals and 23 assists. So as you can see, the numbers stack up. There hasn't been a massive discrepancy from when he was at Liverpool to when he moved uh, over to European football. So he's still doing the business, um, but it's just one of those which club shouts loudest will probably get their man. We know that money's going to be a big factor, uh, but at the minute, all things seem to be pointing towards Aston Villa. You know Aston Villa very well. <laughs> And do you wait. think I'm so looking forward to this answer? Do you think this is a possibility? <laughs> I'm so looking forward to this uh, answer. I mean, was I surprised yesterday? <laughs> yes. Uh, it's a departure, as I said on here yesterday. It would be a departure from Aston Villa's recent strategy in the transfer market. Do Villa want to be shopping at the top table, negotiating with Barcelona for players? Yes, they do. Is it a gamble because he's not played much football? Yes, it is. Did I sit there and watch Philippe Coutinho's compilation on the Sky Sports <laughs> website yesterday? <laughs> yes, I did. Um, he is going to be coming up against Emi Buendia. That is the, the, the record signing that, that Villa paid all the money for in the summer. Uh, we've done a, a comparison between uh, Buendia's statistics this season and Philippe Coutinho. There's a couple of caveats to this, insofar as Coutinho has played far fewer minutes than Emi Buendia. And there's also, you've got to bear in mind the style of football that both sides play. Coutinho is going to be involved a lot more on the ball than perhaps Emi Buendia would be. But you look at the goals, these are all per 90, by the way. Uh, expected assist for Coutinho much less than Emi Buendia, but you look at his uh, final third passes, all per 90, and his completed dribbles, uh, he outstrips Buendia on that front. It's the off-the-ball uh, statistics that might 
be a stumbling block perhaps in the way Aston Villa play for Philippe Coutinho. Look at the pressures there, Buendia, uh, far greater pressures than Philippe Coutinho per 90 minutes this season. So we know the style of play that Steven Gerrard would like to employ at Aston Villa. Does Philippe Coutinho fit into that style of play? We wait and see. I think, as Rob quite rightly points out, there's going to be a number of clubs that are going to be interested in Philippe Coutinho. I'm enjoying this breakdown from Dave. <laughs> just wanted to ask you about the wages, though, because Rob mentioned it there. Could they be a problem for Villa, for any of these other clubs? I think it's a problem for everybody because Coutinho, you might say, has been a victim of the Barcelona financial mess. They paid well over the odds, I think most people would agree now, for Philippe Coutinho in the first place in the first place, paid him astronomical wages and unfortunately for him, whatever's happened at Barcelona has not worked out for him. Gone through a, a series of managers, now we're in the financial abyss for Barcelona or according to Juan Laporta, they're back. Yeah. So maybe they're not in financial abyss. But I think he's probably become a victim of that. Now he would like to get his career back on track there's the obvious connection with Steven Gerrard. That would, it makes sense in that way. Would he be a success? Is he going to be up to speed? Would it take him four months to get back up to speed in the Premier League? Does that make it a worthwhile option if you're paying him all that money? Those are the questions that Villa's transfer committee of Christian Perslow, Johan Langer, Frederick Leth, they'll all be weighing up right now. Yeah, and Dave, you took us to a moment there we can all imagine you sitting there watching the highlights reel trying not to get too carried away but the question I guess I have is how exciting is it the potential to have Coutinho back in the Premier League and I'm not saying I think this but is there the potential that he could perhaps be past his best? Uh, I come down to the old saying and Mark's going to help me finish this. Form is temporary, class is Permanent. Okay, say no more. And I'm so happy that you actually brought those stats up because sometimes when you see these narratives and you can see all of the confusion that's happened around Barcelona, we can sit there and say, oh, it's because of Coutinho, it's because of this, it's because of Messi leaving. When you actually saw the stats and the numbers themselves, in the whole mess that Barcelona have been in in the last couple of years, his stats have remained consistent. You see the impact that he had at Liverpool, his stats remain consistent. So when Coutinho is on the field, as long as you can build a team that is going to build around a special player, as we both just alluded to, who is class, you're going to get numbers, you're going to get stats, and you're going to get impact. And I say it all the time, in world football, you can get a load of players that can turn around and come together, but there are very minute few who are actually can be difference makers. And whether it's the five seasons at Liverpool, the three seasons at Barcelona or whatever else, Philip Coutinho has proven it time after time. You give him the opportunity, he is a difference maker. That's, that's the thing. Is, this, this, this whole scenario reminds me of the summer with Ronaldo. Everyone was desperate for, to, to see him come back and play in the Premier League. We were desperate to see Gareth Bale come back and play in the Premier League. Gareth Bale perhaps didn't quite work out so well. Ronaldo's 
definitely got the goals, um, whether he's worked out for the team. And I think this will be a very similar scenario with Coutinho. Dave, yes or no, will he end up at Villa? Smile, Dave, and say it well. Say it with your chest. Don't know. <laughs> <laughs>
as a genius and if he wants to anoint a successor or put himself in great more power to him that's how football works it's all about results and if he doesn't and if it stays as it is now which is unconvincing unattractive football very few chances created by manchester united despite all of those attacking players then people will not have the same level of confidence in him to uh, appoint a successor or for even for him to to hang around it's all about the mood and the results and Rangnick has always been a long-term planner. That's where his best success has been. The problem at Manchester United is he's only got six months to to turn it round and really get Manchester United into a top-four position. Well, Rangnick arrived, famed for the pressing game. Any evidence that that's actually happening? Well, there was in the first 28 minutes against Crystal Palace and not much since then, and he admitted after the Wolves game that the team hadn't pressed and they were tactically out, outwitted by Wolves who did a number on Manchester United, especially in midfield and Wolves' manager managed to communicate the changes he wanted to make to his players and they carried out those changes didn't happen for Manchester United so Fans who didn't know much about him, they'd heard about the pressing game, they'd heard glowing tributes from some of his contemporaries, some of the people who'd looked up to him, some of the best coaches in the world. And to be fair to Ralph Rannick, he's spoken exceptionally well when he's spoken to the media, but it's all about results. Even if you're scraping 1-0 wins, he'll get away with that. You start losing games at Old Trafford and playing as badly as Manchester United played, then the concern and the worry comes through. But there's not been an identifiable style which has come with the new manager as yet. It's still early days, but I've got to answer your question honestly. And no, not so far. Yeah, and the fans booed when he took off Mason Greenwood. Are the fans turning on him already? I don't think it's specific to the manager. I think they booed the decision because Mason Greenwood was one of the few Manchester United players who was playing well. He had more dribbles. He had more touches in the opponent's um, area, which the other players were not having at all. So that was the decision, combined with the fact that Wolves were clearly dominating and creating more chances. Uh, Rangnick is not Solskjaer, he's not a club legend, but I still think United fans will get behind him. They're patient, especially within Old Trafford. They want him to see him do well. They don't want to see the team fail. They don't want to see the manager fail. They'll give him a fair chance. They're not going to jump on him straight away. And if results and performances improve, they'll they'll absolutely be behind him. And, and every Manchester United manager post-Ferguson, even David Moyes would say that they felt they had real support from Manchester United fans at Old Trafford. That, that is true, but United seventh in the Premier League. You touched on this. They scored fewer goals and conceded more than this time last season. So, are United going backwards? Well, judged by that, yes, they are. United were top of the league a year ago. So they're scoring fewer goals. Ronaldo's scoring. The players around him are not scoring. The team are conceding more, but were conceding too many last season anyway. Uh, Rangnick has stopped the flood of goals, which saw to the end of Solskjaer's uh, time. So in the last uh, month, two months, three months, Manchester United have absolutely gone backwards. The form 
fell off a cliff under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. He won four and drew one of the first five league games. And then it just went really bad in the autumn. Those heavy defeats to Liverpool, to Watford, being completely outplayed by, by Manchester City. So it's been a pretty grim season for Manchester United. And that wasn't expected. After last season's second place finish, then bringing in Rafael Varane, Jadon Sancho, Cristiano Ronaldo, fans were really, really optimistic. Without reason so far, sadly. Um, we've just broken the news that Felipe Coutinho is on his way to the Premier League. We'll decide by the weekend. Do United fancy a former Liverpool player? I'm still getting over that goal he scored in the Europa League to put Manchester United out about five or six years ago. He was excellent. I've watched him play a lot for Barcelona and he hasn't been excellent. Barca overpaid for him. He didn't fit in with the players around him. He's really struggled and Barca want him off, off the wage bill. Coutinho at Manchester United, oof, that, that really isn't one for me, but the, the, the issue for a lot of fans is the midfield for Manchester United. And we saw that, that again against Wolves. United's midfield was completely overrun. And you've got inconsistencies within the midfield as well. So Scott McTominay was excellent and has been largely good against Burnley, less so against Wolves. And fans are always harking back to the great midfielders who played for the club historically, but also in more recent times, your Keynes, your Skulls, your Nicky Butts, great, great players. And they're not seeing that at the moment compared to some of the rivals. Coutinho is not a name who Manchester United fans would say. Um, yeah, let's definitely get him in. It's more of the holding position. But then what formation are Manchester United playing at the moment? Ole Gunnar went for a 4-2-3-1 a lot of the time. And Ralph Rangnick's going for a, a 4-2-2-2. But he changed that at half-time the other night. So these people who know far more than I do about football tactics should be making that decision. But I'd be stunned if Philip Coutinho uh, came to Old Trafford. Yeah, indeed. Andy, great pleasure to speak to you. Thanks for coming on. Hey, everybody. Good to see you again. Be, be seen by you again. I'm back and I'm here to talk about CES 2022 the biggest gadgets and trends and concepts that we saw at the show this year. And I actually think this was a better than average CES, even though this was a very weird CES, because even though technically you could have gone to Las Vegas and some people did, most of us didn't. Every year at CES, we talk about the difference between concepts and reality. And so this was the concept of what CES was supposed to look like. And this is the reality. There's a lot of vaporware at CES, but I think the people who complain about that are kind of missing the point. A lot of the concepts at CES are about floating ideas to see what consumers' reactions are to it. And also, there's actually just a lot of stuff that actually does ship that is shown at CES. And so I wanna talk about both of those things. If you know anything about CES, you know that it is a TV show and the TVs at CES are concepts and there's also some real stuff. So let's talk about the concepts first. 
The first concept to be aware of is HDMI 2.1a, a new version of the spec because it wasn't confusing enough before, whatever. To me, the most exciting concept was Sony announced quantum dot OLED TVs. I'm sure they'll ship one, but the idea here is that OLED is a little bit dimmer than it needs because it has to shine the light through a filter, but quantum dots can make color without a filter and so they can be much, much brighter. They beat Samsung to it. I'm really excited to see what Sony does with it. The other TV technology at CES are mini LED and micro LED and Neo QLED and OLED EX, which is even brighter OLEDs from LG. Just have all that stuff in the back of your mind, just stuff that might exist in TVs you actually wanna buy someday. There are some other concepts. So for example, there's a camera that Sony's gonna sell that will change the sound based on where it sees you in the room or it will scold you if you sit too close to the TV, which is incredible. Samsung is putting NFTs on their TVs. Don't buy an NFT from Samsung's on their TV. Just don't, just don't do that. That's just it's a bad idea. They're also making a remote that can be powered off of the radio from your router because why not? Okay, but what's the reality of TVs in 2022? Well, first, Samsung is shipping new versions of its Tizen software with a new home screen, the ability to watch together with somebody else remote, but most importantly to me, a new gaming hub. It's gonna support GeForce Nvidia and Stadia game streaming, but it's also going to work better with local consoles. And if you manage to get a next gen console, like a PS5 or an Xbox One Series X, whatever they're called, Hopefully that will be a little bit easier to set up your TV with, but the sleeper hit of the show might be LG's 42 inch OLED TV. Now, normally you think of TVs being impressive because they're huge, but this smaller one is interesting because it could be used as a gaming monitor maybe, but at the very least you will have a TV with just wow, perfect picture quality in a smaller size that you might actually want to put in a smaller room. The next big thing that happens at CES is we get a lot of chip announcements. Those are the concepts. And then the reality is you want to buy a laptop. So let's talk chips. So Intel announced the 12th gen Alder Lake chips, and they say they're going to be the most powerful laptops ever, that they're going to beat Apple's M1 Max chip on performance because they've got a dramatically increased core count. And maybe they will, but Intel didn't say much about battery life, and that's one of the reasons people are so impressed with these MacBook Pros is they have the power and they have the increased battery life. Now, Intel, I think, is the more important company to talk about because, frankly, most laptops are still shipping with Intel chips, but I think AMD is the much more interesting chips to talk about. They announced their Ryzen 7000 desktop chips. That's the Zen 4 architecture, five nanometer process. They're coming in the second half of 2022. It should be a step change in performance, we hope. They also announced the Ryzen 6000 laptop chips. Now this is Zen 3 architecture on a six nanometer process, but it should have double the graphics performance. So if I buy a gaming laptop this year, that's probably what it's gonna be. And then lastly, NVIDIA announced some stuff, 3080 Ti, Ti, 3070 Ti, Ti, whatever they call it. They don't even know themselves. There's also the 3090 Ti, but are these real or are they just concepts because nobody can buy NVIDIA graphics cards because they're never in stock? Who knows? There's also a new version of the G-Sync monitors that lets you switch dynamically between 1440p and 1080p. That's cool. So conceptually know what the chips are, but reality, what kind of laptops are you gonna be able to buy? Well, I think 
The most interesting laptop to me is the Dell XPS 13 Plus. And it's interesting because, yo, it's weird. <laughs> they have a, like a touch bar that's not a touch bar. The trackpad is like completely invisible. The keyboard is redesigned. We have a great hands-on video from Monica. You should go check it out because again, it's super weird. There's also the new Lenovo ThinkPad Z series, Z series. It's a new version of ThinkPads that are a little bit less enterprise, a little bit more designed for consumers or Gen Z. They've got a new look. You can get them with vegan leather. The camera on the front of it actually sticks out of the top of the monitor. So instead of a notch on the inside, you've got a mega notch on the outside. I think that's clever. Finally, there are a bunch of laptops that are gonna ship, but they're, they're concepts. They're like real concepts. There's the Lenovo ThinkBook Plus Gen 3, which has an eight inch secondary screen on the keyboard deck. Asus says it's gonna release a 17 inch foldable OLED laptop this year. Sure. Uh, to me, the most practical, exciting laptop is probably gonna be the Asus ROG Zephyrus G14 and G15 because they're finally adding webcams to these laptops. Next up, cars. CES is a car show this year, and oh my God, it was a super year for concepts. Concept cars out the wazoo. Mercedes-Benz unveiled a ultra-long-range Vision EQXX electric concept car. It looks ridiculous, but it's supposed to have 600 plus miles of range. It's there to prove that EVs can have that much range, but it's never gonna sell. There is this new BMW that had color change technology where it could change from black to white dynamically because it uses e-ink on the outside and it just looks sick. Also, Sony has this uh, Vision S concept. They showed off a car a couple of years ago. They had an SUV this year and they say they're starting a brand new company to explore actually making cars. Okay, Sony. Chrysler had a concept. Hyundai said that they're gonna have robots everywhere. General Motors says that they're gonna get to autonomous vehicles by the middle of the decade. Volvo says they're gonna have unsupervised highway driving mode in California. All of this self-driving stuff is very unlikely to actually be as good as they claim, but I'm glad they're still pushing forward, I guess. Okay, but what about the real cars? Well, I think the most important one is probably going to end up being the Chevy Silverado electric truck because Americans like buying trucks. However, it's not due to ship until late 2023 and it's based on that Hummer base. And I just think that that ship date is not likely to happen. So is it real or is it vaporware? Who knows? GM also announced that they're gonna have electric versions of the Equinox and the Blazer. The Equinox in particular is important because it's supposed to have a $30,000 starting price. Finally, BMW has a new car, it's the M60. It's a dual motor performance EV with 280 miles of range. This one's important because it's got that M branding for performance. It's supposed to go zero to 60 in 3.6 seconds. To me, the interesting thing is that BMW claims they don't have rare earth metals in the electric motor. You think of EVs as being more environmentally friendly, but most of these companies aren't talking about rare earth metals. So good on BMW for trying to push that forward. Now, as far as phones go, CS is not a big phone show, but there is always some phone stuff to talk about. So on the concept side, the big news is that 
Google is going to be making a bunch of new features for Android that will make that ecosystem feel a little bit more integrated, a little bit more like what Apple users enjoy. So for example, Bluetooth headphones should be able to automatically switch between Android phones and say a Google TV. You should be able to have your text messages on your Chromebook. So it'll mirror your apps from your phone directly to the Chromebook. You should be able to use nearby share, which is kind of like AirDrop to squirt files from your phone to a Windows PC, but only select Windows PCs, not everything. The hassle with all of these concepts is they're concepts. They haven't shipped yet. Google says they're all coming in the coming months. So we got to wait for those updates to actually arrive. What about reality? Well, there's a real phone coming. It's a Galaxy S21 FE, the fan edition. It's a mid-range phone that I find a little bit weird because it's not that far in price from the regular Galaxy S21 and the Galaxy S22 is right around the corner. Hopefully this thing gets some major discounts so it actually makes sense for consumers. There's also the OnePlus 10 Pro. That has been coming out in multiple announcements because that's how phones seem to be announced these days. So we know what it looks like. I think it looks pretty good. We know the specs, their flagship specs for 2022. We know it's coming to China. As of this recording, I don't know when it's coming to the rest of the world or what the price is gonna be. I'm sure there'll be six more announcements between now and we find out that information. Okay, lightning around. Concept, reality, whatever. I just wanna talk about stuff that's cool. There is a home robot that is basically just like a self-driving shelf and box that follows you around. That sounds silly, but if you have mobility issues, having something to help you carry stuff is actually super important. So. I hope this thing ships. Withings has a new smart scale with a handle and you pull up the handle and that's used for EKG, but also for body composition, which to me is more important than just your raw weight. This is nerdy, but NXP has a chip that makes it easy to add Wi-Fi 6, Bluetooth 5.2, and thread to a smart home gadget. One of the big stories of the show is Matter, this new smart home spec that makes it easier to make smart home gadgets work with anything. And so this should mean that we'll see more of those next year and the year after. Samsung has a portable projector. It's the Freestyle projector. And actually it's really cool because it solves a lot of practical problems that portable projectors have. That is a lot of peas and I managed to get it right that time. So it shows up on different colored walls and auto fixes the color. It does keystoning. It can go in different directions. You can put little caps on it to make a light show. You can screw it into a light bulb. It's just a ton of fun. Speaking of Samsung, there's the Odyssey Arc, its largest curved monitor yet. And instead of looking at it like this, you can turn it on its side so it goes over your head like an Omnimax screen and that's dope. There's a new Skydio 2 Plus. They're gonna have a software update for it later this year where you can program it as a cameraman instead of just having it follow you. So you can do more complex actions without having to have a drone pilot around. Last and I don't think least, there's a new smart dog collar. We've seen these before, it's got GPS, but this one also tracks vitals, heart rate and activity. And that's kind of neat because getting that into a relatively loose dog collar is a hard technical challenge and they say they solved it. So that was CES 2022. We've got a lot more coverage on TheVerge.com. I have barely scratched the surface because this was actually a relatively good year, both for concepts and I hope, for real products that are really going to ship. 
So what's my big takeaway for the difference in the concept and reality at CES? Well, it's simple. We're living in a simulation where the distinction between concept and reality doesn't actually exist. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. No, to me, the thing that surprised me this year is I actually am a little bit hyped up about some of this hype. And I think that that is okay. And if you're hyped too, just remember that hype isn't real. It's not real until it ships. So don't pine for something until it really seems like it's going to hit store shelves and don't buy it until you see a review. So CES has kicked off the year in gadgets just like it does every year. I really hope this year is a better year than last year. So not to get too sincere about it, I hope that you will have a better year this year than last year. And I really do appreciate you watching all the videos that we make here. And we're excited to make a bunch more for you in 2022. What's up, y'all? It is Free the Truth, Auntie Free, the Village Auntie. I'm in the building, and you know, I'm I'm bringing something to y'all that just keeps being repetitive in my life, especially this this last year or so. Boundaries. Boundaries, boundaries, I promise you, boundaries. And um, I don't know if any of you were or are like I was, um, had a hard time setting boundaries with people, right? And um, let's uh, take a, a look. Boundaries, a line that marks the limits of an area, a dividing line, right? Boundaries are things that we put limits on. So we set that we set with other people. Um, they indicate and find what and we show what we find to be acceptable and unacceptable behavior towards us. Intellectual worth and boundaries. You are entitled to your own thoughts, opinions, as are others. Okay. I don't know if anybody has told you this. So let me tell you. Boundaries are okay you can set boundaries for your mental health my journey with boundaries comes from a long 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 <laughs> long 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 line of having to be responsible for other people. I am the oldest of five children. Okay. I had to help look after and at times take care of my other siblings. 
I am quite used to things of mine coming up missing and people taking things from me that did not belong to them. Um, as a child, I was not allowed to complain about this. And, you know, that caused me to internalize certain things. And as I got older, I, I lacked boundaries. I, I had a hard time asserting myself with people about certain things. Because um, much like my grandmother, rest in power, Gran, um, you know, I, I always witness her being a selfless person and giving and, and, and sweet and helpful. And I took after that in, in a lot of ways and even to my detriment at times. And, um, it just really put me in a place of not having boundaries. So over the years, without having these boundaries, it called for me to be um, frustrated a lot, um, irritated, bothered, um, just, just a lot of things because I was not using my throat chakra. <laughs> to assert myself, to set boundaries with people. And boundaries are as simple as a no, right? I had a very hard time telling people no. And, um, that put me in the position of having to deal with certain things or even uh, obligate myself to certain things because um, I didn't know how to tell people no. And it became very um, overwhelming because I had a obligated myself to things that I really didn't want to do, right? And um, it just took me a while to step outside of that. And so I experienced that in this last, last year or so, you know, I would say that, um, pandemic put me in a position of being able to say no without hesitation, right? Because I had the excuse of, oh, you know, pandemic. And so, you know, that was like a roundabout way of dealing with things. And, um... I just, I just had to, for my peace, for my peace. If you wonder why you don't have peace, 
Ask yourself what you're lacking boundaries in. Ask yourself that. What am I compromising my peace over? What things are causing me to lose my peace of mind? Right? And um, I really take a, took time to assert that. And I seen myself over committing because I don't want to hurt nobody's feelings. And um, I had to take my time back. You know, when I found myself doing a lot of favors for people and I wasn't even getting support for the things that I do. I had to set boundaries. Just think about the things that upset you, that frustrate you, that that just put you in a mood. And I will ask you immediately, what are you lacking boundaries in? It's the boundaries, baby. (laughs) And I just want to share the fact of it's okay to say no. No, no, I can't. No, I don't want to. And just just understand that that no in and of itself is it. You don't have to provide explanation to people on why you don't want to. Okay, your no should be enough. I shouldn't have to keep going into explanation on why I don't want to do something. I'm an adult and I can decide what it is I do and do not want to participate in. I get to decide that. That's me. Myself. I get that. I've been talking to some friends and I don't know what it is right now. The energy is it's in the air. It's out there. And as, as, as people with big hearts, we, we are drawing lines in the sand. We, we are no longer allowing ourselves to be so accessible. We're just not allowing it. Prioritizing your peace will put things into alignment with you. If it does not bring you peace, should you be doing it? If every time you're around this person, it disrupts your peace. Should you be doing it? If every time you're at work (laughs) and it disrupts your peace, should you be working there? If every time, you know what I mean? Like, just apply this. And I know, I know. Everybody 
it's not in a position to just up and leave and, and figure out a new life. Right? I get it. I understand. But, nonetheless, you can plan for it. And that's, that is also a another discussion that I have had with a friend. And it's all about planning. If you have some type of plan for the future, you give your 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 subconscious and your mind a sense of relief. Like there is going to come a time where this is over. But if you have no plan, if you have no way to 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 get out of this, then that's when you kind of get into the sunken place of life. Where everything is just bleh. Because you have nothing to look forward to. This is it. So I challenge you to start setting your hard boundaries. And I promise you when you do, you're going to see who really, who really is your friend. Who really is down with you. Who's really about you. Because if your boundaries causes separation between you and others, then that shows you that they weren't really about you. They were using you. And don't get me wrong. We all get used, but there's an unhealthy way and then there are healthy ways. You as a person should be useful, but you should not be used there's a difference. Okay. I challenge you to draw your lines around yourself. Protect your peace at all costs. If it is not in alignment with your peace, then it is not in alignment with you. And I'm not saying that that means every day should be perfect. I'm saying That we should be at a state of peace to be progressive, to be valuable, to be useful. If you have no peace within yourself, then what good to you are you you to anybody else? You're not stable. You're not grounded. So anything that's disrupting your peace is is throwing you off balance. And it is your job to restore your peace. And for a lot of us, that means setting boundaries. Okay? Be unapologetic about your boundaries. Okay? And I just want to share these words with you. If no one else has told you today... You're beautiful, you're loved, you're needed, you're alive for a reason, you're stronger than you think, you're going to get through this, I'm glad you're alive and don't give up. It's your girl, Free the Truth, you already know what it is, shout out to Team City Buzz, Convo Sessions every Thursday, make sure you check it out and go visit my website. Freetotruth.com. All right. Till next time, y'all.
Hello and welcome to Gamers Unlimited, the podcast dedicated to all things esports and gaming. Hello, I'm Horace, and this show is a production of State Champs Esports. Make sure to follow us on social media. Hi, I'm Candice Lynn, and with me today I have Daniel Sarikis, the head coach of the Lawrence Tech Esports program today. And we're just going to go over what your thoughts are on how your first semester of collegiate esports here at Lawrence Tech has gone with the inaugural team. We're all really excited that we finally got to see it take off. So we want to hear from you uh, how you just think, what are your overall feelings of how the first semester went? I think it actually went really amazing. I couldn't have expected it to go as well as it did. Um, when we went into it, I just kind of expected like just to, to win a few. And in fact, they win like 51% of uh, all the titles that they played wow. in, in matches. So I think they did really, really well. Um, and they're all new to athletics. Some of them aren't, but uh, balancing and things like that were, uh, did really well on t for some of them. And so I don't think many people actually realize how many teams are in the eSports program itself. So can you give us like a little more insight on what the actual program is? Yeah, um, so we have about 41 students, um, two game captains, and we're actually shifting next semester to three, um, sorry, not game captains, team captains. Um, and each game has a captain. Uh, so we have eight titles, uh, and each of those titles have like their own practice schedule. So they all don't meet at the same time. So I'm very much balancing and coordinating when they can come in and when they are able to um, practice and, and do VOD review. Um, and so it's really just a balancing act, and, and we're getting better at that too. And so do all eight of these teams compete? Uh, yes and no. Uh, all seven compete, and the eighth rainbow is not competing yet, but we're looking to try to compete. Uh, that's mainly because we have a couple people on multiple rosters, and I can't have them compete in multiple titles and maintain um, a college schedule where they're getting good grades and class. Okay, interesting. Let's go into, like, just briefly into each of those teams. So I know you have Rocket League, right, is kind of our number one. They compete in WAC, so I feel like there's, like, a bit more attention on them. So how do you think that they're doing? I know that we have an A and B team. Yeah, so they're doing great. Um, we finished second in WAC, which is crazy for a brand new team, not even one year in. Um, we were, we had some challenges and, you know, I think that in time they're going to work on their strength and, and get better at what they are doing and their schedule. Um, the B team is just kind of like helping feed into the A team and uh, their ranking, I'm hoping to get them to the level where they can start also competing at the same level and that way we have some subs to be able to, to flip flop into the roster. Right. So like if somebody has an exam, they don't have to miss the exams, we have somebody else to sub in. Um, because that's important. Right. All right, cool. So then moving on, I know we have League of Legends. Uh, and Overwatch, which I mentioned those at the same time, because next semester they compete with WAC as well. Okay. Um, so it's going to be always fall Rocket League, well, at least for this year, I should say. Um, fall Rocket League, League of Legends, Overwatch um, in the spring. Uh, but they all compete pretty much all year long. It's just different competitions, not necessarily WAC. Okay. All right. Well, very cool. It's exciting to add those to the WAC lineup then for us next year. Um, and then now I have Valorant. How, is, how are they doing? Oh, they actually got uh, third within the conference that they joined. Um, it was Team Meta. 
Uh, and we kind of just were a late entry. The, the funny part about Valorant is Riot, uh, the publisher, like kind of puts a lot of stipulations on their games. So it's really hard to get a competition. Um, and I'm not really sure why Team Meta could, but they did. Uh, and they did really well. Um, I think that we might uh, decide what competition we're going to do next semester, or we might focus just on grades and, and practicing and perfecting our craft. All right, and then how is Smash going? I know that we we have some fun students on the Smash team. Yeah, yeah, we were talking about Joy-Con Jesus, right? <laughs> <Yes>. Yeah, <laughs> that's he's, one of my favorites. Yes, he's he's a great young man. Um, he's also the game captain, uh, and he helps run on Friday's uh, student affairs tournament in uh, the East resident hall. Okay. Um, so he's looking to continue that next semester. But they they prefer in-person competition. Uh, the issue there is COVID makes it challenging. So Nintendo kind of doesn't do well with online. Uh, so that's why they don't love it because there's lag and such. So okay. when they input the buttons, you know, there's not an immediate reaction as if you were in person. So then now we have Call of Duty, which I know is your game at heart. So tell me, how do you think that the team is doing, especially watching it from your perspective of the game? I think they're doing great. Um, we have some really strong players, and then we have some stronger, newer players, but they have gotten so much better um, within the season. They're, I think they're one of the passionate, most passionate teams. Um, they probably actually practice the most, too. Uh, I think they practice about five days a week. Um, and I also have two dual sport athletes on that team um, who are managing and, and playing hockey. And then we have an honorary uh, hockey player as well that's playing COD in case we needed somebody. But I think they're doing amazing. Uh, COD is such a, a beast of itself. Um, there's been people who play that game for years. So you really need to have played it for hours and hours and hours. And, uh, and know the maps and things like that. Okay, and COD is, the COD team is one of our, the few that is pretty much co-ed where we have girls and guys playing on the team. Do you, do you see any differences in the practices or any of their kind of teamwork in that sense compared to the all men's teams? Well, I, I very much, the ladies on our team that are, um, the two ladies that are kind of like running the show, there's more than two ladies, but uh, they're very type A, similar to me, so I think that they run really well in that they're like really organized. But I will say most of these teams are really run well by somebody that's super type A. Um, and I say run, it's just a matter of they're, you know, making sure people get to practice and things like that. Uh, but we do have some more females coming on. Uh, there'll be one for our Valorant squad and also one for our Overwatch squad. So okay, that's a little exciting. sneak peek unofficially. Yeah. Well, very cool. All right, and then we have two more. So we have Madden. How is that going? Oh, they are doing great. Um, they just competed with Play Versus. Unfortunately, Play Versus just announced that they're not going to be uh, competing next semester. So <laughs> we will just have to figure out where to compete. But that's a very individual game. They are not really coming into practice the same way that the other teams because it's, it's one person. So I ask that they try to play a um, scrimmage scrim once a week and then play each other and then they play outside of that. Um, I know that our lacrosse player Maverick is, has been streaming on Twitch the last week pretty much every night because I get his <laughs> notifications. So, um, and he finished, uh, I think, technically sixth 
overall, and they were like 57 students wow. um, in play verses, and then Adam as well. He finished, I think, 11th or 12th. Okay, cool. Very good. And then I know that the last one is the team that's not competing, but Rainbow Six Siege. They actually work really, really hard. I mean, all of them do. I think that's the right. o overlying message. But I will say that they are the team that likes to um, strategize the most. And I think I really want to get them competing, um, but I have a few people on multiple titles, as I said. So I can't inundate them with, you know, schedule. Uh, I am super busy, can I, so I can only imagine adding uh, college curriculum to that. Um, so they try to compete and in, in work out every Saturday or every other Saturday for a scrim. Um, so even though they're not officially competing, they are competing with, you know, uh, friends teams and we're looking to try to see if we can add their competition weekly next semester, if not next semester in the fall for sure. Um, and okay. then it'll be weekly just like the rest of them. All right, so I know we kind of touched on it a little bit, but what are some plans that you have for next semester when we come back in January? Yeah. Um, well, it's really looking on focusing. I'm always going to probably focus more on what happens within WAC. Um, so Rocket League, I have actually a assistant coach, and he's going to take the forefront with Rocket League. They can always come to me and talk to me, but um, he's going to entirely focus on their competition, so I won't be pretty much much part of it, so we would call it an off-season. Um, and I'm trying to look and figure out how we can do off-seasons and on-seasons, so to speak, because it's an all-year thing, and it's so busy all the time. <laughs> so it would be nice to like give them a break so they can focus on their school, the reason that they're here, um, and then also focus on perfecting and getting better at practicing in their strategies and map um, knowledge what do you think worked this semester so far? And then what, would, what do you think you'd do differently, kind of? We're already going to do something different. Um, last semester, fall semester, um, I kind of just got their class schedule and tried to figure out when their practice time was around it. Um, the major issue was that I had so many late entries that I couldn't like say, hey, your practice is from 3 to 5 on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, so this semester, I really hammered hammered schedules before November. So they're more of um, a structured schedule, just like traditional sports, where you're like, hey, your practice is from 2 to 4. Um, the stressful part about that is making the other teams understand that, you know, we have to work out how much space we have, and we can't just overlap. Like, I can't have League and Overwatch playing at the same time. I, they're, first of all, they're two different very loud teams. <laughs> so, like, I can't have them yelling over top of each other, and then also computer and spacing. So, right. and I think it's important that they each have their own time within there. So, um, definitely working on better scheduling and, and how to space out everybody. Um, and then also hours that they should play outside of your sanctioned practice time because you're still, you know, if, if you're a runner, you're going to practice running and lifting, maybe not lifting so much in practice. So that would be something you practiced outside of there. So there's that. And also I want to work towards adding fitness into the program, but right. can't conquer the world all at once. How is recruiting coming with bringing more students in? Have you seen a slowdown since the start of the program, or is it kind of staying steady in the sense of that we're st we still have that big interest in Lawrence Tech? 
I think it's still staying steady. Um, I, we did have a large influx of LTU students that are really interested. Um, I would like to focus on new recruits from other universities, or not universities, high schools, I'm sorry. Um, so that some of them having experience being on an eSports team versus not being on a team at all. Um, and so I'm getting several, uh, you know, submissions for that. And also, I really like that there's more women that are uh, interested, which is awesome. And maybe the draw is because I am a female. I'm not sure, but I think it's pretty awesome. Excellent. Well, we're super excited to see what next semester has. And then after that, you'll have a whole year under your belt. So it'll be very cool to see where the program goes from there. But that is all we have. So thank you so much for joining us. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe to Gamers Unlimited and tell your friends about it. We'll be back with a new episode soon, so join us again.